the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Good evening and welcome to Tucker Carlson tonight. I think that's how he says it. Uh, I am a a big Tucker Carlson fan. It's actually the only show on Fox uh, that I watch on a regular basis. I mean, I do watch Fox for news coverage off and on when things are going on, but uh, Tucker Carlson is the only opinion show that I watch on a regular basis. He's a great writer, and uh, take it from someone who knows television, he's really good at doing TV. There's an art to delivering a well-written commentary while you're reading it uh, from a teleprompter and being able to sound and look like you're talking to people and not reading to them. But here's the best part about Tucker Carlson. Liberals can't stand them. And he's lost some sponsors lately because of some of the things he said. So he's been on the wrong end of a boycott. But guess what? This is unbelievable. Nobody in cable news has ever had more viewers. And as uh, Outkick.com pointed out today, uh, and that by the way, that's true. He set he set a record for cable news viewers, uh, most ever last week, over four million. And uh, Outkick pointed out that it's not just the old people who are watching them. Liberals are who hate Fox. They like to tell you that uh, you know nobody under the age of uh, sixty is watching. But while Carlson was setting that record for total viewers. He was also reaching the people that the advertisers love to reach. I think they love to reach him too much to, to, between you and me. Um, I think they focus too much on that. Maybe that's because I'm older than that. But anyway, viewers between 18 and 54 are the ones they go after. And he was number one with them, too. And Fox had the six, the six highest rated shows in that demographic, that 18 to 54 demographic last week. CNN had the seventh, eighth, ninth, and tenth highest rated. Uh, Cuomo Prime Time was ranked seventh, and MSNBC nowhere, nowhere in the top ten. And here's something even more amazing: Carlson won eighteen to forty-eight. That's eighteen years old to forty-eight years old. And Bob Bobby Burak, who wrote the piece at Outkick, points out Carlson only tweets two or three times a week. I don't even remember seeing his tweets, uh, but he's out there somewhere, I guess. Now I tweet uh, two to three times an hour. And believe me, sometimes I wonder why. But uh, part of it is to, mo- is to promote this radio show, which a lot of us in the media do. You feel like you have to be on Twitter to promote uh, what you're doing. Uh, and that's why so many people in the media are on Twitter. And uh, Burke says that that's proof that Twitter might be eh, just a little overrated. The, the losers over there at MSNBC are all over Twitter all the time. Chris Hayes is one of those who tweets his brains out. He's ranked 23rd overall in the 18 to 49 demographic. Uh, and Rachel Maddow has 10 million followers on Twitter. 10 million. She's ranked 12th in the group 18 to 49. Now, young people you think are, are the people, most of the people on Twitter you think are young. So what is it about Tucker Carlson that's getting these big numbers besides the fact that he's really good at what he does? Well, it might be because he has guts. Uh, he's been ripping Republicans lately, which I was glad to see, for not having the guts to stand up to the protesters and to, to be more vociferous when they uh, call out Black Lives Matter. Uh, I see a couple of Republican senators have even uh, said uh, they were okay with removing the Columbus, that one of the statues. I forget who it was. Uh, oh, no, getting moving, uh, uh, not uh, celebrating Columbus Day anymore. Two Republican senators. The fact that Carlson gets these kinds of ratings is encouraging, though. It kind of shows that uh, people under 60 and even people under 40, for that matter, are looking for information and opinions from people who aren't in the mainstream media. Translation, they're not getting it from liberals. And the best part of this, though, really, is he's racking up these numbers after those uh, those major sponsors pulled out and liberal idiots out there calling for a boycott. And believe me, just trust me on this. The liberals at the other networks can't stand these numbers 
They can't stand it. They know that they're getting everything right. They know that Tucker Carlson is a raving lunatic and a racist, and he's only for old people, and they know that they're all wonderful and that the young people just look up to them and they're the new new age of politics in America. They hate this. So there may be some hope for America. When we come back, uh, we're going to talk about what's happening, speaking of lunatics, in Seattle with our own sort of Seattle uh, correspondent. Stick around. The people in this movie share three things in common. They're courageous, they've had a life-changing experience, and they're black American conservatives. These are the voices of the movie, Uncle Tom. I don't remember the actual day, but I remember the emotion that I felt when it it happened. I'm often asked, was there an epiphany? I started asking questions. As I became more politically aware, a lot of... The way that I saw things began to change. All this information I've been taking in for several years. A continuation of these kind of contradictions. I had bought into all of these lies. You begin to see what the real agenda is. This is the movie the leftist Democrats do not want you to see. These are the people they do not want you to hear. Their stories will shock you. Their journey will amaze you. Their courage will challenge you. Go to UncleTom.com. Buy it now on pay-per-view. UncleTom.com. Do you have the courage? To discover the truth. We're all thinking a lot more about staying safe these days. Windows R Us Pittsburgh is no different. This is John Stagerwald. When it comes to working around your home, Windows R Us remains committed to the safety of you and your family. For roofs, gutters, and downspouts, siding, and, of course, windows, Windows R Us Pittsburgh can answer the call. With over 50 years of home remodeling experience, Windows R Us has earned its reputation as the area's premier exterior replacement company. And all work will be done in strict compliance with the government's social distancing guidelines. If you've had damage, you may be eligible for free repair or replacement. Visit WindowsRUsPittsburgh.com for a free inspection from one of their highly trained appraisers. You'll love their no-pressure approach, no hidden fees, and one of the fastest turnaround times in the industry. From a company that will never skip town when it comes to honoring their warranty, why pay double? Trust the area's premier exterior replacement company. That's WindowsRUsPittsburgh.com. WindowsRUsPittsburgh.com. Hey, are you guys open? Yeah, yeah, we are. Come on in. As businesses reopen across the nation, is your business prepared for what comes next? Salem Surround can help. COVID-19 brought America's thriving economy to a screeching halt. But now, local businesses are getting back to normal, and families are getting out to shops, stores, and restaurants. Are you ready for the return to business and all that pent-up consumer demand? Business recovery plans should be ready to go right now. The marketing team at Salem Surround is ready to help, so you don't waste a minute or a dollar recapturing market share. We'll help design your recovery plan targeting potential customers with proven marketing strategies. With Everything in our toolkit working for you. Digital, audio, mobile, even audience-engaging contests and promotions. Contact Salem Surround for a free evaluation of your digital marketing plan. Learn more by logging on to surroundpittsburgh.com. Surroundpittsburgh.com. Connecting you with new customers. Warning, listening to this program may expose you to toxic masculinity. The John Steigerwald Show on AM 1250. The Answer. Yes. Oh, yes. Here I am. <laughs> Sorry about that. Working at home. Every now and then, some, uh, a little glitch pops up. And I was thinking that uh, the recorded interview we did was just going to run. This is, uh, this is Chris Rufo. Um, and he's a uh, writer at the uh, at city-journal.org. Also does uh, documentaries. He's a writer and a director of documentaries. And uh, I got him on. I just talked to him a little while ago. Maybe that's why it screwed me up. I just finished the interview a few minutes ago. Um, let's, let's go to Chris now. Thanks him. Thank him for being here. It's great to be with you. So, unfortunately, though, for you, you've uh, you've become uh, our Seattle correspondent. <laughs> uh, you you know what's going on out there. So uh, what's the latest on uh, CHOP or CHAZ or 
whatever they call it now, has it been completely evacuated out there? It has, yeah. CHOP is dead. The autonomous zone has been retaken uh, by Seattle police officers uh, with, with resistance, a few dozen arrests. Um, but it really is the end, and it ended for, for two reasons. One, uh, because uh, despite the rhetoric of creating a police-free zone that will be safe for folks, uh, there were six shootings, including two uh, shooting deaths in the past three weeks. And then the second reason is actually quite strange. One of the city council members, the socialist alternative uh, polit- politician, Shama Fawan, uh, led a rally of hundreds of angry socialists and anarchists to the mayor's house, uh, where they threatened her safety, spray painted her front gate. And then that really was the, the kind of last straw for the mayor and realizing that the city was descending into anarchy and she had to take action. It's amazing that the the mayor uh, was sensitive to her property being uh, destroyed or defaced, but she didn't have much of a problem with what was going on on the six blocks that this group took over. That was somebody's property, wasn't it? Yeah, and she's coming under heavy fire for that exactly. I mean, it's no secret that Seattle has been uh, a, a kind of hotbed for this kind of radical activism, threats, intimidation, property destruction. And I, I think, you know, the mayor made the right choice by dismantling the chaff or the chop, whatever they're calling it. Uh, but she made it, I think, in some ways for the wrong reason. She only made it because the mob started coming after her. And, you know, it should be the, the, the right thing to do in all cases is to, uh, is to defend uh, every citizen from the mob not just when it's convenient for you personally. Yeah, and, and you would think, that, I don't know, what does it say that someone is that um, immune to uh, hypocrisy or unaware of the hypocrisy of something like that, that uh, just the blatant hypocrisy of not doing anything until her, her own backyard had these idiots running around in it? Yeah, the, I mean, the it, 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 it really... It really is uh, uh, just an absolutely, uh, you know, devastating revelation. I mean, it's it's something that, um, you know, in, in a way you could actually make the argument that there have been two homicide victims inside the autonomous zone. Uh, those didn't spur her into action. But having some demonstrators rallying outside of her personal home, uh, that's what set her off. So it's, it really, I think, reveals uh, the rhetoric on one hand saying, you know, repeating all of the slogans and mantras of the Black Lives Matter movement uh, while really refusing to take action against the Black Lives Matter in practice, which is a, you know, created a situation of dangerous anarchy uh, and and murder and mayhem. And this is the mayor who said when it started and said it with a smile that it might be a summer of love. Uh, How does she keep her job after that? You know, and here's the thing, and I think that it, it was probably surprising to, to many listeners around the country, but, you know, Mayor Jenny Durkin is, by national standards, a progressive leftist. Uh, but by Seattle standards, she's actually kind of a centrist establishment figure. So Boy, that's uh, she's really getting it from both sides, both from the kind of uh, center-right that is rightfully calling out her hypocrisy, but also from the center-left who is, has been calling her a kind of a leader of a fascist police state uh, intent on destroying the autonomous zone. So the result of that is there's a kind of pincher movement uh, that is that is really pressuring her from both sides, and she's finding herself extremely isolated, extremely vulnerable. And I think what's going to happen uh, next year during the next mayor's race is she's going to have a, a strong challenger from the left uh, that is going to be seeking to unseat her. So there are people, <laughs> there are people out there in Seattle who think that she's not left enough. That's exactly right, and and you know we actually have a, a figure for that. It's about forty five percent of voters in Seattle are are to the left of Mayor Durkin, uh, and we know that because that's the the vote count for the uh, her, her her challenger in the last election that was very far left, much further left uh, than the mayor is. So. So we're in this kind of bizarre world where a, a kind of uh, establishment uh, Democrat, uh, you know, an Obama appointee U.S. attorney is actually seen as this kind of conservative. And, you know, the, the very hard left is now calling her 
a fascist, a white supremacist, all of those slanders and slurs that traditionally have been uh, reserved for folks of us on the center-right, they're now going after their own. And frankly, sometimes you just got to sit back and enjoy it uh, because these are people that are on the left that are frankly self-destructing. We're talking to Chris Rufo. Uh, he wrote the piece at the City Journal about uh, Chop and Chaz out there in Seattle, but he's, he's done documentaries. He's a writer and a director, and you've done a lot of work uh, looking into what's going on in some of our uh, favorite West Coast cities out there. Uh, I'm just stunned that there are that there is a city in the United States of America where people that, that, that someone like that mayor is considered a centrist and there are people there are enough are there enough actual human beings out there who would rush to elect I mean could actually make it happen and elect someone more liberal to be mayor yeah absolutely I, I think that that percent of possibility and I think that if there is a strong candidate that is running on a socialist ticket or a kind of uh, labor left and socialist alliance um, movement, I, I think there's a high probability that they could get elected. And, you know, the, the, the real lesson from West Coast cities of San Francisco and Seattle and Los Angeles is that there is really no bottom for these folks. There's no position that is far enough left. And even though it's very clear to most people that these ideas aren't producing uh, good results, they simply want to double down and double down and double down. So, you know, if the election were to be held today, uh, my bet is that someone uh, to her left, significantly to her left, uh, would be able to win an election. That is, I don't know if it's hilarious or terrifying. What, what should I, should I think it's funny or should I be very afraid, Chris? Of that what you just said. I think you should you should be able to experience both of those at the same time because I think it's about fifty percent funny and absurd, and fifty percent terrifying and pathetic. So um, it's a complex situation, and it really depends on your vantage point how you view things. But you know, my own personal hope is that uh, I, I'm, I'm convinced that this Seattle mayor, for all of her problems, uh, for all of the places that I disagree with her, she is actually the only thing that is standing. Uh, between the city of Seattle and the mob. So even though I disagree with her on many issues, uh, I, I, I really hope that she is able to get some sort of backbone and stand up, uh, because if she falls, it's nothing but the mob. But wh- where's, where are the regular human beings who live in Seattle, who, who are not uh, socialists and don't, uh, I mean, where do, all, where do these people come from, and how did this happen in Seattle? And, and Portland's the same way. What what is it about up there in the upper northwest that um, I mean what is it? Where, how did this happen? I, I it's just it's astounding to me. You know the northwest is a kind of strange place, but it's had a really active socialist movement for more than a hundred years. I mean Seattle actually had a socialist mayor in the early part of the twentieth century, so there's been kind of this this socialist web of people that are growing. You'll remember in 1999, the anti-WTO protest. Um, and it's always been there, but what's happening now is that they're starting to build an actual political program and political infrastructure, and they're preying on the weakness of elected officials and the cowardice of, of, of many people in positions of authority um, to actually take power. And what we've seen with the, the autonomous zone, the CHOP, is that nobody is willing to stand up to these people. And it is really in their uh, strategic interest on behalf of kind of anarchists, socialists, and radicals to essentially take the city hostage uh, because they know that if they misbehave, they're going to get rewarded. And I think what we've seen over the last five years especially is a cycle of endlessly appeasing and rewarding uh, the worst actors in the city, and then they've been able to consolidate that power. And but I'm trying to picture a, a normal, regular people. There have to be some. I don't. Have, they don't have to be um, uh, Trump uh, lovers, or they even have to be Ronald Reagan Republicans. Or I, I mean, how small must the faction of actual sane people be in order for the, them to let this happen? You know, I. I, I... I would venture a guess that actually the kind of rational center-left voter is 
is, represents statistically the majority. But the problem is that the really angry, loud, aggressive minority of maybe 5 to 10% of the population has essentially silenced all of those moderate voices. So, you know, nobody in the city of Seattle, no average citizen, is, is, is going to stand up to these folks because they know they're going to get harassed, targeted, doxxed, threatened, followed, humiliated, publicly shamed. And, and I think, consequently, what you have is that a very aggressive 5 to 10% of the population um, has cowed the majority into silence, and they're just running roughshod over the entire society. Uh, we're talking to Chris Rufo. Uh, uh, he wrote this piece at City Journal. You can see it at city-journal.org. Chris, you, are you in Seattle right now? I'm just outside of Seattle, thankfully. But, yeah, I, I go to the office every day in Seattle. Yeah. yeah, that's what I thought. But uh, and and uh, you've written uh, and studied a lot of what's going on out there. Uh, it's just uh, I think people around here would be stunned, are stunned as they're listening to you say uh, talking about a city in the United States of America that is looked upon as a you know seems like a really nice place and a good place to live. That there are that many lunatics running around out there and uh, and and actually uh, close to being in charge of running the place. It's it's. It's astonishing, um, but to get back to the um, to the Chaz Chop people, what's the demographic breakdown of those idiots? You know, black, white, old, young, male, female. So there's a couple key kind of populations that were in the Chop area. Um, you know, there's the kind of uh, anarchists and the Antifa and the kind of hardcore. Uh, all dressed in black group um, that was maintaining security and patrolling the Chaz. Uh, those are predominantly uh, white millennials uh, with and heavily skewed male. Uh, then there's the kind of um, social justice activists in the kind of center left mode, the Black Lives Matter world. Um, those are kind of uh, African Americans uh, and, and predominantly female. And then you have, uh, unfortunately, a, a huge problem in the last few weeks with. Uh, with gang violence. So you had, uh, of all of the six shooting victims that have been identified, all of them are black men. The two who died, also black men who were teenagers. So you have a, a, a pretty big mix of these different factions that were jockeying for power and leadership and support. And then add on top of that the kind of block party atmosphere, again, kind of uh, college-educated white um, folks. Um, you also have a significant homeless population. So you have a really this kind of strange microcosm of the city concentrated in its most extreme elements in a very small territory with no rules. Um, so it's really not a surprise that when you throw all of this in the mix, uh, what, what emerges is violence, chaos, and destruction. I only have about a minute left with Chris Rufo, a little bit more than that. But uh, what about the stupidity? I want to get to that before you go. The stupidity of declaring the East Precinct Police Station a symbol of white supremacy. It was another brilliant move. Yeah, you know, it's just, you know, what we've seen in the last uh, month in the United States is the progressive left trying to destroy every uh, last remnant of American history. And what happens is that when you destroy that history, you forget why things are there in the first place. And the biggest irony of the Chaz, which has really escaped any of the national reporting, is that these folks wanted to essentially shut down the Seattle East Precinct uh, Police Department building. Uh, but what they didn't know is that the police department building was first championed uh, and ushered into existence by a gentleman who was actually Seattle's first African-American city councilman. And the whole idea was that people in the Seattle central area, heavily African-American community, had been complaining for years in the 1960s and 70s about slow police response times. And so they lobbied, you know, channeled their energy through the city's first African-American uh, city councilman who eventually was able to get funding to construct it. So, you know, at one time, the African-American community of Seattle looked at policing as a vital community service. You fast forward 40, 50 years as we've forgotten that history, you have predominantly white anarchists and socialists now declaring it an institution of white supremacy, which I think is just almost beyond belief. 
that, that that's the perfect ending to the story, Chris. Thanks for being on. I appreciate it. Always. All right. God bless. Okay, that's Chris Rufo, and check it out at city-journal.org. We'll be right back. With SRN News, I'm John Scott. The number of confirmed coronavirus cases in the U.S. climbed to a new high of more than 50,000 per day on Thursday. The U.S. recorded 50,700 new cases That's according to a tally kept by Johns Hopkins University. All but 10 U.S. states are showing an increase of confirmed cases over the last 14 days. That's according to the data compiled by the COVID tracking project. The Supreme Court has turned away pleas and will not hear cases from pro-life activists to make it easier for them to protest outside abortion clinics. This comes... Just days after justices struck down a Louisiana law re- regulating the abortion clinics. Stocks closing higher today. The Dow gained 92 points. The NASDAQ was uh, 53 points higher. The S&P picked up 14. This is SRN News. This is the Entertainment Answer. Are you looking for some royal entertainment for your little prince or princess? Well, how about the Swan Princess, A Royal Wedding? It's the enchanting 10th entry in the beloved Swan Princess saga, and it's available August 4th from Sony Pictures Entertainment. Rated G, this 90-minute animated film has Princess Odette, Prince Derek, and the royal friends setting sail for another exciting adventure. Plus, did I mention there's a talking frog? Again, look for The Swan Princess, A Royal Wedding on Digital and Redbox August 4th. For this entertainment answer, I'm Matt Mungle. Hey, Mike, how's the house coming along? (sighs) Needs a ton of work. The pipes are leaking. Needs a new roof. The AC just broke. I just don't have time to do it all myself. You know anyone? Oh, just ask HomeAdvisor. They match you with the best local pros for any home project. Cool. Yeah, you can read reviews and book appointments online. What's it cost? Actually, HomeAdvisor is always free to use. Nice. I'll check it out. Go to HomeAdvisor.com or download the free app. HomeAdvisor. We always hear that elections have consequences. When Democrats took over the House, it led to the impeachment of an elected president. This radio station wants every listener to focus on what's important. How do we save America from the forces that want to tear it apart? How do we make sure we save America for our kids and our grandkids? The hosts of this station need you to engage in the fight. We need you to register to vote. Elections have consequences. Make sure you are part of the solution. AM 1250, The Answer. Do you or your business have financial problems? Are you overwhelmed with debt? Then call me, Attorney Dennis Spire at 412-471-7675. My legal practice concentrates on bankruptcy law, debtor rights, and tax matters. I have over 30 years' experience as a former United States Department of Justice bankruptcy attorney and lawyer in private practice. I have represented thousands of cases faced with financial problems and lawsuits. Reorganize and get a fresh start. Call 412-471-7675 or visit my website at DennisSpira.com. This is Rhett Rasmussen, president of BestHotGrill.com. We've proudly advertised on the Salem Radio Network since 2014, and you've likely heard about our hot, fast Solaire infrared grills, realistic fireplace gas log sets, contemporary fireballs, and stylish Bromic patio heaters. For those who can purchase now, we are offering, for a limited time, a 15% discount and free shipping at our online store, which you may access through besthotgrill.com using coupon code STRONG. That's STRONG during checkout. But if you can't buy now, I have a special offer just for our valued Salem Radio listeners who contact us for a quote by April 30. I will lock in the price prices, the 15% discount, and free shipping until the end of this year, so you can purchase when you are ready. Contact us for a quote by April 30, and you have until December 31, 2020, to pull the trigger. So go to besthotgrill.com, that's besthotgrill.com, to buy now with code STRONG, or contact us for a locked-in quote. Besthotgrill.com. AM 1250 and FM 92.5. The Answer. WPGP Pittsburgh. A division of Salem Media Group. Listen on the Answer mobile app, smart speakers, tune in, iHeart, or radio.com. Stuck in traffic? We've got the answer. Watch out for a crash. Washington Boulevard at Frankstown Avenue. And delays on the Parkway West. Slow inbound Parkway Center Drive to the Fort Pitt Tunnel. Five-minute delay on the outbound Parkway East. Bates Street to the Squirrel Hill Tunnel. Also, the off-ramp to Monroeville shut down for construction. Heavy on the inbound side of the Parkway East. Edgewood Swissvale to the Tunnel. And Grant Street to the Fort Pitt Bridge. That's a look at traffic. I'm Jenny Robinson. 
1250, The Answer, Weather. Tonight, moonlit with clear skies and a low 66. Hot tomorrow with partly sunny skies. Caution advised doing strenuous outdoor activity with a high 93. Humid tomorrow night with a moonlit sky again and a low 68. Humid still for Saturday, partial sunshine with a high 90. With your AccuWeather forecast, I'm Gregory Patrick. The John Steigerwall Show, AM 1250, The Answer. Well, I wore my mask today. I had to go to Best Buy, huge store. Uh, there I was wandering around in the printer aisle. Nobody within 100 feet of me kept my mask on. The, the stupidity, uh, mind-numbing and annoying, but I did it. Uh, His Excellency Governor Tom and his Aunt Rachel changed the rules again and decreed that we all have to wear masks in public. So when does it end and what's it all about? I thought it would be a good idea to bring Molly McCann of the Federalist back. She also directs the Phyllis Shafley Virginia Constitution Center, and she's part of General Michael Flynn's defense team. Molly wrote a piece a month ago about masks, and she joins us now. Molly, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me on. So the theme of your piece uh, was, is that uh, masks are about power more than protection, and they're obviously still getting away with it, aren't they? Absolutely. Uh, the, yeah, the theme of the piece is that it is about power. All of, most of the action you're seeing right now is this executive action premised on a state of emergency. The, the executives or through them, their um, health and safety secretaries, are, are acting under this idea that we are in an emergency. So my opinion is the masks uh, continue this fiction. People look around, they see their friends are masked, and it, and it continues this fiction that we're in an emergency sufficient to let these governors use their executive power. And I think we're going to see we're going to see an explosion of it. Well, we've already seen an explosion of executive abuse. But until the people say no more, no more masks, and even more, no more state of emergency, we're going to see increasing abuse upon abuse. Um, all premised on this idea that the, the masks and the emergency is ongoing. Yeah, and the mask uh, is I mean, that's a big part of it, isn't it? Because it's it's uh, it's a visible thing, and everybody you see has one on, and uh, it's there's peer pressure involved. There's shame involved. There's pride involved that you get to go out and show what a wonderful, caring person you are by wearing a mask. It's really a good tool for them, isn't it? It is. Liberals have a way of being able to make uh, these different movements into sort of qu- almost quasi-religious or certainly uh, bring to bear all of the peer pressure. It's about helping other people. It's about making people feel safe. Uh, but I think ultimately what, what it certainly is, is about when we look around and see everyone's masked, we're, we're afraid. And I think we'll see down the road. It hasn't happened quite yet because I think people have been distracted by the riots and the other problems that we've been having. But down the road, they're going to, they're going to begin, and they've already started. Most states have started implementing uh, contact tracing, which will lead to massive database. And that's my real concern is that the masks, create and perpetuate the emergency, and from that we're going to see other really problematic uh, policies. But by that point, sort of the, the social, um, our social thought will be, oh, well, you know, we've got this huge problem. We have to continue to battle it. Uh, and I, so I, I think that's the ultimate end game of the mask. Yeah, well, they, uh, for, uh, just here in Allegheny County, just uh, a few hours ago, they shut the restaurants, bars, and casinos down again. We were... Uh, privileged to be able to actually go inside and eat here for the last couple of weeks and they've mm-hmm. had a, a they've had a spike in um in uh cases and surprisingly enough the demonstrations and everything had nothing to do with it uh, it's all been about people going into bars and not wearing their masks while they're in there that's uh, that's what's caused the spike so they've shut the restaurants down again for a week at least Yes, they're talking about doing that in Virginia. They're, they're, they're wondering if perhaps we should um, act, dine in, uh, which we've been permitted to do for the past month. I would really encourage your listeners to check out Alex Berenson on Twitter. He's been doing, he, yep. he just has a, a lot of information about how the, the COVID numbers are not as scary as they sound. People, more people are being tested. The death rate is, is rapidly declining as more people are tested. The symptoms are, are much lighter. Uh, obviously, our our health system is perfectly capable of handling uh, people who do get who do get sick. It certainly looks like a nasty virus, but it's it's this. I think this regression we're seeing is just panic on the part of the left 
to maintain uh, the power that they have discovered through this emergency. Because what, when will it end? The question I have is, when is this emergency going to end? That's and when question. is the, the balance of power going to shift back to the people? It's really well, the, the power has been taken from people. Yeah, and what I don't uh, understand um, is that the numbers, I don't have the numbers in front of me here, but it's uh, 200 and some uh, new cases today, and they're expecting more tomorrow. Uh, four people went to the hospital, from what I understand. I don't know if that's today or one day or over a couple of days, but four people went to the hospital. Um, and they don't give you details on who went to the hospital, how old they were, whether they went to ICU, whether uh, they are in uh, critical condition, um, none of that. Um, so, uh, Molly, what, it, it, it's, it, all of this is to prevent, you know, when it started, it was to prevent people from dying because we were told that it was basically a death sentence to get this disease. You were really in trouble. Not, it didn't matter how old you were back then. It was just if you got it, boy, you're in big trouble, you're going to die. Then we found mm-hmm. out pretty quickly that it was mostly old people. Well, now we're back to death. I keep hearing people say, talking about the masks will keep you safe. Safe from what? Getting sick? That's all, you're, that's all, that's, all that's happening now. Is people are getting sick. That's it. Right. Well, I mean, even, uh, even if people are, even if a certain percentage are dying, which is tra- tragic, absolutely tragic, um, we knew that once we started opening up again, that the cases would climb. The, the right. point of the point of shutting down was never to completely eliminate the virus. We knew that was impossible. It's supposed to be to slow the spread so that the hospitals could could take in people and not be overwhelmed like we were seeing in Italy. We have accomplished that, and and it's it's high time we we absolutely have to reopen our economy. And so I do think part of this is to to hurt Trump because Trump's economy was was and is his his winning. Um, his winning legacy for the 2020, and so I, I do think this is this is partly just to hurt Trump because we, we, as a country, as a nation, we must open back up again. The people who are telling us that we need to stay closed or we need to regress and close close the dine-ins, etc., those are people who don't. They make a paycheck whether whether they have to stay home or not. But it's middle America, small businesses who have been crushed by by the, frankly this absurd fiction that we've been living under that this that this virus is as dangerous as they say it is i'm uh, disappointed with the lack of resistance are you and i mean i don't mean by politicians other politicians i mean just by, i i would have thought by now that people would just be saying no i'm just not doing that i have a wedding scheduled then there's going to be a wedding and you know uh, I'm-, I'm going to a restaurant and i'm going to eat and I'm disappointed. At the same time, Americans are, are we're, we're a very law-abiding culture, which is actually good. We respect law. And when, when the governors issue these edicts, and they also tap on, I might add, sometimes misdemeanors, uh, in Virginia at least, it's a misdemeanor if you don't follow the policy. Uh, I, I, I am disappointed, but I, but I also understand it. It's intimidating. That's the point. When everyone's doing it, it's very intimidating. We've also, as, as we see from other parts of our culture, we have shifted to this place where all of us, the society kind of judges other people. So if you went into a store without a mask right now, probably half the people would be glaring at you for not following the policy. There is a lot of sheep think, I like to call it, uh, that goes on here. And, and I, I don't know what the solution for that is. But I do think more Americans than you realize probably uh, are, are, feeling, are feeling the resistance. But it, it's, ha- it's hard when it's a misdemeanor. It's hard to say, I'm not going to wear a mask. It's a misdemeanor. I see. I see men, more men, doing it in stores and when I'm out and about. But it's true. For the most part, people are abiding by, by the orders. We're talking to Molly McCann. She's a contributor at the Federalist and directs the Phyllis Shafley Virginia Constitution Center. Uh, and um, uh, you know, it's not hard to find doctors like uh, I had Sarah Wecht here in Pittsburgh on last week, who will tell you that this is not necessary. He referred to it as mass hysteria. Um, so th- there are doctors out there who will who are saying that this is the masks and everything about it is just overkill. Absolutely, I've talked to plenty of doctors who say that. My sister is a scientist, and now she's getting her medical degree, and and everyone agrees. And and Dr. Fauci, he agreed too before this became a political issue uh, that mm-hmm. the masks, certainly the masks that we're all wearing, the homemade masks or the cloth masks, are not effective in stopping a virus, uh, and. Um, my sister was telling me it's the N95 mask. Only if it's properly placed 
that's that's really that can be effective in stopping a virus. But um, but certainly when you're running around to the store and you're moving it on your face, probably the N95 isn't that helpful either. But but the vast majority of masks that we are seeing are absolutely useless. And I do think it gives you a false sense of security too uh, when you're moving around the store thinking about not touching your face, getting back into the car and taking off your mask. Uh, you're not protected by the masks. They're just, uh, they really are just a form of social control and a signaling to everyone else that the, the population is getting in line and agreeing um, to these edicts. And uh, what about this being, a, a, this is all about, the, as you said, the, the accepting the new normal, um, which, mm-hmm. which they started saying, early on during this uh, fiasco that uh, they started using that expression as, and, and as though it was already accepted that there is going to be a new normal. Yes, and I, I really think as Americans we should resist that. Throughout our history, we've never been a normal country. Uh, we've often uh, bucked, bucked sort of the idea of what, what the future will hold and gone in a different direction. I, don't, I do not, this virus does not look as deadly as they said it would be. I think we can get back to normal very quickly, but the, the, when when you hear we have we're going to have a whole new normal, it's going to be a new normal. Get used to the new normal. What what you're being you're being programmed to understand when new and invasive uh, policies come out that you have to accept them because quote we're never going back to normal. And as I say, some of the policies that I'm concerned about, that one of the biggest ones is certainly this contact tracing. Contact tracing will. Uh, follow you. You'll have to register when you go to a restaurant. Uh, if you fly, they'll know you flew, and they want to be able to quarantine people if they've been in contact with anyone who's gotten sick. And that that alone could be very problematic. But as you know, anytime the government creates, uh, frankly, pretty much anything, there is yeah. likelihood for abuse. And so if we have a massive databasing of Americans, where we're going, uh, where, where we live, all, all of that databasing can can be used for uh, bad purposes. And, and I guarantee you databasing will be abused. So the contact tracing is very concerning to me. Frankly, a mandatory vaccine is very concerning to, to me. And I, I think that they're working overtime. They're, they're uh, suppressing the good data about hydroxychloroquine to push through a vaccine that certain people will make uh, for, a fortune promoting. And uh, I'm concerned that they're going to say it's going to be mandatory. And it, I wrote another piece for the Federalist some time ago, and it was about the national mood. And it's, it, it is this idea that it, the national mood, sort of what we all just kind of think and agree about, can be very, very powerful. And um, Americans, need, we need to tap back in to our, to our sort of a, our independence. We are a very independent people, and we, we do need to start saying no now, because there are things coming down the pike in our new normal that will be very disturbing. And if you think for, to board a plane now, you have to wear a mask. Imagine if to board a plane, you have to have some mandatory vaccine that frankly is relatively new. We don't know what, what side effects it could have. Um, I mean, I'm not a complete anti-vaxxer. I think you need to have some vaccines, but a mandatory vaccine for coronavirus, I think would be catastrophic. So we, we, do, need to, we do need to start getting loud because they've got more, they've got more up their sleeves. Yeah, and you know, again, this would this would make maybe a little bit of sense if we were talking about leprosy here, or you know, something that that was a something that was a death sentence. It's and it just isn't any. They they don't they haven't changed the 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 narrative. It's still they still keep using the words you you can be safe. And you talk to somebody on the phone before they hang up, they say be safe. Safe from what? I'm I'm seventy. I'm over seventy. I'm not worried about it. You know, I'm, I'm just not. It just it drives me nuts. Well, you also wrote a really good piece. Uh, I wanted to get to this. We only have like two minutes left. Uh, uh, a real good piece about kneeling for the website uh, American Grace, uh, Greatness. Explain what you said about taking the high ground and holding it. I got about a minute and a half left. Sure. Um, so in, in that post, I'm basically just explaining that um, to kneel is to agree to this idea. Kneeling has been defined as agreeing to this idea that we're systemically racist. And mm-hmm. if we as a nation are systemically racist, that's a root problem. It goes right back to our to our Declaration of Independence and our Constitution. And Americans need to be very clear and understand what, what, what are we debating. There's a race problem. The, the black community, we need to fix policies that uh, are are sort of closing doors of opportunity to the black community. But 
we do not have to and we cannot accept that we are systemically racist. And, and so kneeling and any other kind of sort of uh, signaling to the population that accepts the idea that we are a systemically racist nation, we've got to destroy that. And, and holding the high ground is maintaining the, the patriotic belief that we are a great, great nation. We are an exceptional nation. We've provided more freedom to more people than any other nation in the history of the world. We should all be very, very proud to be Americans. And we should revere our founders and we should defend and protect the Constitution. And every American, no one should be afraid to say that. No one should be afraid that they'll be told they're racist if they believe that. We've got to hold that. Americans are still patriotic. We've got to keep them patriotic. And we need to resist what is the the left has appropriated the the problems that we have that we need to fix in the black community they've appropriated that weaponized it against our our very soul the very soul of america and and we have got to be very active in rebutting that so that was what that's what the american greatness article is about a great uh, a great way to put it hold the high ground molly thanks for being here again hope to have you on again soon and uh, stay safe thank you thank you We'll see. We'll be right back. We're Diamond and Silk, and we have a new book coming out called Uprising. The Awakening of Diamond and Silk. No one we grew up with could have dreamed of what we have been able to accomplish. Our mother was born in poverty to share profits. She was living the American nightmare. So for us, the American dream meant not only the freedom to find love and follow our faith. Freedom meant not letting anyone else define who we are, what we can do, or who we should vote for. In Uprising, we talk about the world we grew up in and what led us to rebel against that world. And how rebellion led us to speak out on politics and reach millions of viewers and how you can reach others too. You've seen us, and you've heard us. Now read all about us in Uprising. Uprising by Diamond and Silk, coming August 18th. Pre-order at Amazon or wherever books are sold. This important message is for anyone experiencing financial hardship and owes back taxes to the IRS or has unfiled tax returns. Recent events have caused massive job layoffs and financially burdened millions. While tough times will go away, the IRS won't. At Community Tax, we're on top of evolving IRS collection policies that could make it easier to resolve tax problems and dramatically lower monthly payments. If you're facing a serious loss of income, you may qualify for IRS hardship programs that may lower your monthly payments or provide dramatic tax savings. For taxpayers who owe less than $250,000 and are in a payment arrangement with the IRS, new guidelines could lower your payments substantially. Community Tax has decades of experience helping taxpayers with IRS collections. So call our helpline today for your free consultation and learn what programs you qualify for. Call 800-600-3010. That's 800-600-3010. 800-600-3010. Traveling internationally may not have been a priority for you in recent weeks. But as our country and others around the world start to reopen, we're confident it will be safe to travel to the Holy Land this December. Israel has already reopened to the public while maintaining safe social distancing. In fact, an independent organization recently rated Israel as the number one country on its COVID-19 safety ranking. There is no better time than now to sign up to join Dr. Sebastian Gorka and Mike Lindell from MyPillow on the Stand with Israel tour this December 2nd through 11th. Visit the answerpgh.com keyword Israel to register. Seize the moment to celebrate life, freedom, and your faith by signing up to visit the inspiring Holy Land. Here's the best part. If for any reason you can't go, cancel without a penalty between now and August 14th. Reserve your spot today and travel to Israel this December with Dr. Sebastian Gorka and Mike Lindell. Visit the answerpgh.com keyword Israel. If you're thinking of replacing your carpets due to pet stains and odors, you must try Genesis 950. Genesis 950 with water breaks down the bonds of stains and odors so they're gone for good. Its antibacterial component removes pet odors from carpet and padding. It can even be used in a carpet cleaning machine. And it's green, so it's safe for your family and pets. Before you purchase new carpets, you must try Genesis 950. It's made in America. One gallon of industrial strength Genesis 950 makes up to seven gallons of cleaner. But Genesis 950 is not 
not just for pet stains. It's a disinfectant that kills viruses. It can be used on surfaces and floors by mixing one-third Genesis 950 with two-thirds water. Apply to surface and clean with fresh water. It's great for floors, bathrooms, kitchens, garages, grease stains, wheels, tires, degreasing engines, and upholstery. It's available on Amazon. However, if you order a gallon direct at Genesis950.com, you'll receive a free spray bottle and discount using code SALEM. That's Genesis950.com. Genesis950.com. Code SALEM. This is the John Steigerwald Show on AM 1250. The answer. You gotta love the, the judicial watch. Uh, you've seen the big uh, signs, not signs, the paintings of the streets uh, in various places. In D.C., they painted uh, Black Lives Matter on a major street uh, in town, and then right next to it, the demonstrators uh, printed, uh, painted "Defund the Police." Well, Judicial Watch said, "Well, it looks like uh, the the city has turned its streets into a public forum for political expression." by painting and allowing the other messages, which means that it cannot shut out other competing messages or else it runs afoul of the First Amendment. D.C. street surfaces are now being used as a public forum, according to uh, Tom Fitton. He's the president. And they said the group will pay for the painting but needs the city to arrange to divert traffic. They sent letters for three weeks and uh, no answer, so Judicial Watch is suing. Mayor Bowser gave us the runaround rather than access, as the First Amendment requires, to a D.C. street to paint our timely message and motto because no one is above the law. That's what they want to paint. Our message is especially relevant today because it applies equally to law enforcement and public officials as well as to protesters, looters, and rioters. Then they also they also went to New York and told the mayor there that uh, he, the, he is uh, painting uh, prominent streets with uh, uh, Black Lives Matter. Judicial Watch, they want to get a chance to paint some of the things on uh, the streets of New York, too, because no one is above the law. That should be interesting. I hope he sues them, and I hope he wins. Hope you have a good uh, Independence Day, and I will see you on Monday. I'm off tomorrow. Thanks to Mike and Darren for helping with the producing of this uh, elaborate program, and I'll see you on Monday. It's a production of the Answer Pittsburgh and Salem Media Group.